Well, good morning, church. How are we doing? So when I was a little boy living in Italy, we didn't really have cartoons growing up. Um, but that did not in any way at all stop our creativity. In fact, I think it was actually enhanced because we had to do all kinds of stuff. My mom, though, would read us books and, and, and tell us stories. And one of my favorite books, and I still have an old copy of it right here, is called Aesop's Fables. How many of you have heard of Aesop's Fables? Man, I got to tell you, my mom would tell us these stories, read us these stories, and I would be like, wow, I cannot believe this story. I can't believe. And, and, and I still have this. I, I must have this book now for about 30 years. In fact, it still has the library thing that I'm sure I paid for at some point. You know, I'm, Either that or I owe a lot of money to some library in New York. Uh, but in that book, there's, there's a story... And some of you may, may uh, be able to remember this story. It's called The Dog and His Shadow, or The Dog and His Reflection. And the story goes like this, uh, that a dog with a piece of meat in his mouth was crossing a stream. In fact, it's got a picture I want to put up. There we go. Was crossing a stream, and he saw his reflection, and thinking it was another dog with another piece of meat, he made up his mind to have that one also. So he made a snap at the shadow in the water, but as he opened his mouth, the piece of meat fell out, dropped in the water, and sank to the bottom, never to be retrieved again. Remember this story? Anybody here remember this, this little fable? This is one of Aesop's fables. And then the book has this little, every one of these stories has a little bit of a lesson in it. And here is the lesson in this one. Beware lest you lose the substance of what you have chasing shadows. Hmm. Have you noticed that some people will do anything for profit? Some people will do anything to make some money. Have you noticed that? I was uh, reading this article some time ago, and it was talking about the seven or the six most eccentric items ever auctioned online, like eBay. And so I want to share with you some of them. This one here, hopefully, yeah, uh, is a, uh, a serial killer's fingernail. His name was Roy Norris. And it actually sold for $9.99. How wild is that, right? Right there. A serial killer's fingernail. Ah, uh, there we go, yes. Uh, in 2004, I don't know why this is not working. I don't know if the battery is finally... There we go. Uh, in 2004, a man sold a so-called haunted rubber ducky. He said he's, only, he's one and a half years old, and his son, who's one and a half years old also, had been telling weird and scary stories about how this uh, rubber ducky was fighting with him all the time. And, and, and after only seven days on the site, the rubber ducky, and this is not to give you any ideas, sold for $107.50. 
Not bad, huh? For a tall tale. Uh, in April 2002, oops, went too fast on that one. I don't know why this is not, we're going to have to change the, uh, oops, way. I went way too far on that one. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. I got that one. Okay. The rubber ducky. And, of course, now we've got Justin Timberlake's French toast. In April 2005, a 33-year-old woman named Melissa, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, this one here was uh, in uh, 2002. Uh, someone bought Justin Timberlake's French toast for $3,154. If you're in this room, I'd like to talk with you after the church service. And it's not what you think. <laughs> it was for charity? Is that what you said? I, I don't know. Uh, I kid you not, uh, a 33-year-old woman named uh, Melissa, uh, well, no, actually, this is not that one. Sorry, I keep, ch I keep changing that. There was an imaginary friend sold. Uh, the image above is a picture of the imaginary friend <laughs> that John had. As you can see, he's imaginary, and it sold for $3,000 in eBay. Once again, if you were in this room, I'd love to talk with you about him or her. You know, you're laughing. How many of you had an imaginary friend when you were little? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. I used to have a whole soccer team of imaginary friends. My mom would tell me all the time. Okay, this is the one. Uh, this one it was amazing. A 33-year-old woman named Melissa something or other auctioned the rights to name her baby on the Internet. Some of you may have heard about this one. The baby's name, uh, after not being able to decide what to name her fourth child, Melissa decided to turn to an online bidding site, and the baby's name is actually now called goldenpalace.com. Yeah. GP.com for short. Can you believe that? How much? $15,100. Yeah, some of your moms right now are thinking, man, I could have gone for that one. All right? I would have paid for some schooling or something, right? $15,100 for that. And poor kid. I mean, I don't know if he's got a lawsuit in hand because he never got a chance to even choose his name, right? Uh, and, and then finally, the last one, in 2007... I kid you not, an American man tried to sell his soul for $1 million on the net. The following is a quote that the man had said about his soul when he got 400 for it. He said, I'm not really using it lately, apparently. And selling it on the internet, according to this guy, is better than letting the devil have it. 
I'm not so worried about him. I mean, that's, that's one story. But I'm really concerned about the person that bought it for $400, aren't you? Like, what is going on there? And these are some of the eccentric things. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that is being bought and being sold. People try to make money one way or another. People are trying to have some kind of level of profit in one way or another. Jesus once said, for what will it profit a man? It's probably something this guy should have read. If he gains the whole world and what? And forfeits his soul. Oh, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In fact, let me give you the full uh, reading of that. It says in uh, Mark chapter 8, it says in verse 34, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will what? Will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world or profit? What profit is there yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? <coughs> Excuse me. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. And when he comes in his Father's glory with all these angels. That's like, that's like scripture we rarely ever read together. Isn't that true? Because that's some pretty rough stuff that Jesus is saying here. How many of you are like, ready to sign up for dying to self? How many of you? Thank you back there. I saw a hand. That's a couple of hands. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, because you see, here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. Like, if you're willing to do that, that's how you actually gain your life. That's how it's done. I want you to think about that for a second. <coughs> Pastor Fred, can I have that bottle of water over there? Sorry. Charlemagne. How many of you have heard of Charlemagne? Thank you very much. Not much left, I know. But. He was one of the most infamous rulers in the Middle Ages. He was a key figure. I, I studied about him as a little boy in European history. And it is reported that after his death, Charlemagne was buried wrapped in royal robes and placed in a marble chair. On his lap was a Bible opened to this verse right here that said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I don't think that was his choice. What do you think? I don't know who decided to do that, but I think that's pretty interesting. You know, in fact, let me ask you this. Are there times in your life when you have sold your values your convictions for profit. Can you think about that? Thank you so much, Pastor Fred. Can you think about that? Has there ever been times when you've done that? How many are willing to admit that? Don't raise your hand, please. But I, I, I'm willing to admit it. I, I'm willing to admit it. There were times when I looked back in retrospect and I said to myself, what was I thinking? 
Why would I say that? Or why would I do that? And maybe it wasn't for money, but maybe it was for image. Maybe it was for reputation. Maybe it was for being liked. How many of us have sacrificed on the altar character for image preservation? Have you ever done that? There's this human obsession with the relentless pursuit of wealth and along with it, convenience. It has caused us to be confused about the price tags of life and what they really mean. And we don't even know really what, what really is worth what anymore. And this convenience, living the good life, is what we call attaining the American dream. And i got to tell you something. Attaining the American dream comes with a big price. Talk to people that have moved here. And they're thankful for jobs and they're thankful for this is a great country. But I got to tell you right now, attaining the American dream means that you have to be totally committed like a kamikaze soldier to making sure that, that you do that. And it may mean selling your convictions, your values. Oh, what Jesus would say, you're what? Your soul. We have become a generation that expects everything to be leisure. And unfortunately, this attitude spills over in all other areas of our lives. Life, or living the good life, has translated for some of us, not all of us, but not only into a lifestyle of conveniences, but also other aspects of our lives. So we want convenient jobs. We want convenient spouses. We want convenient children. We want convenient friendships. We want convenient church members. We want convenient churches. We want convenient religions. We want convenient truth. And every time that we do something to do that, let me tell you what's happening. You are selling your soul. Because Jesus says, unless you're willing to lose your life, (coughs) you can't Get your life. You can't get it. We had a uh, men's breakfast last Sunday. And we talked about overcoming self. And in the midst of that conversation, I talked about three things that maybe could be practically helpful to overcome self. Because really, when we're talking about losing your life for the sake of living for the gospel, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? And so here were the three things that I said, and I'm going to repeat them to you because I should have mentioned the fourth one. As I look back on my life and what has helped me, or what, ha- what is helping me, because I'm on this journey still. Number one was be willing to embrace the feedback of those who you are convinced love you. There are times in our lives when people that love us will tell us some hard stuff. If we're not willing to embrace that, then we are holding on to self. Are you following me? I know my wife loves me. There's no doubt in my mind, there's no way to put up with me for 31 years and not love me. 
And when she says something, even though it may look like I resisted, I go back and I think about it because I know that her feedback is valuable. Are you following what I'm saying? There are certain friends, some of them even in this room, that when you give me feedback, man, that means a lot to me. Because I am convinced that you care about me, that you love me. The second thing I said, so number one, embrace that feedback. Number two was, do not allow the past define your future. In other words, there are voices from the past, voices from people that we have heard. Maybe it was even our parents, our teachers, our pastors, voices that we have inside that we can, and those voices are trying to take over our lives. And we keep living according to those voices in the past rather than the future that God wants to give us. Are you following what I'm saying? And every time we do that, we are sabotaging self. Are you following me? The third one was and I wish I could tell you that I'm great at this. I'm not, but I'm just telling you what I know works for me when it does. Whenever I'm in a situation where I'm trying, I'm battling self, and usually it is with another individual, often my wife, and I'm saying to myself, wait a minute, am I worried about me or us? Are you following me? Ask yourself. Some of you may have to ask yourself like, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 times a day. But ask yourself. Wait a minute, in this situation, is it me or is it us? Like, am I worried about me or, or, or am I doing the best thing for us? In church, I'm constantly having to ask myself, okay, hold on, hold on, wait a minute, before I discuss this, before I argue, is it me or is it us? And here's the fourth one. So, gentlemen, if you were there and you, you missed this one because... Because I didn't think about this till just a few days ago. But it's, it's, it's so powerful. It really has helped me tremendously. And that is this. Get involved in service. In serving somebody as many times as you can. I cannot tell you the lives changed that we have seen when we have taken students to mission trips. I can't tell you my life how it's changed. As I met people in other countries who had way, way, way less than me. And profit to them meant something totally different than what it means to me. And when I got that perspective, it began to change me. Generosity. Even if you have to force yourself a little bit at first, I'm going to give you permission to do that. But the more you practice it, the more permanent it gets. The more we practice, I believe God has instilled this, this wonderful privilege in us to be generous with, with our resources, with our lives, with our gifts, with our talents. As we do that, we are chipping away at self a little bit at a time. Are you following me? And I have to ask myself, what will it profit me? If I do this for me rather than this for you. By the way, when you are in a life 
or when you are engaged in service, there's an extra bonus to that. You are where the Holy Spirit is. And there's nothing better than to be where the Holy Spirit. You want to experience supernatural, supernatural uh, experiences? Let me tell you what you do. Get into service. Go help somebody. Many of you do this on, on, a, on a regular basis when you are uh, uh, mentoring some child in reading or when you're giving away some, some diapers or praying with somebody. Uh, you know, this church is great at that. We need to do this always. This is why Paul says, I die daily. We should never stop doing those kinds of things as a church. Because those kinds of things help us to die to self. The Bible translates living the good life in a totally different way. The good life is lived in spite of inconvenience, isn't it? Uh, Howard Hughes, have you heard of this guy? Let me read you a little clip from his story at the end. All he ever really wanted in life was more. He wanted more money as he parlayed inherited wealth into a billion-dollar pile of assets. He wanted more fame, so he broke into the Hollywood scene and soon became a filmmaker and a star. He wanted more sensual pleasure, so he paid handsome sums to indulge in every sexual urge. He wanted more thrills, so he designed, built, and piloted the fastest aircraft in the world of the time. He wanted more power, so he secretly dealt political favors so skillfully that two U.S. presidents became his pawns. All he ever wanted was more. He was absolutely convinced that more would bring him true satisfaction. Do you believe that this is a plague of today? See, here's the problem. Here in the United States, we don't realize how wealthy we are, how much we really have. And we are plagued by this thing called more. I want more, this, more, that. I want more, more. We have, to, we have to get to the point where we remove ourselves from the epicenter of self. And say, God, how can, how can I crave less? And here's the key. Are you ready? You can't crave less on your own. Jesus says that is impossible. The only way you get to the point where you truly, really care about craving less, here it is. Are you ready? This is so beautiful. The only way you do that is to be transformed by the transforming power of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can do it in us. And so how do we do that? Well, we need to spend time with Jesus and less time with self. As John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. To get to that point in our lives would be just amazing. All he ever wanted was more. He was absolutely convinced that more would bring him true satisfaction. Unfortunately, history shows us otherwise. This man concluded his life emaciated and colorless with a sunken chest, fingernails, and grotesque inch-long corkscrews rotten black teeth, tumors, and innumerable, innumerable needles marks from his drug addiction. Howard Hughes died believing the myth of more. 
He died a billionaire junkie, insane by all reasonable standards. Now let me give you another story about another wealthy man who decided that his soul was more important than his wealth. His name is William Borden. Have you ever heard of Borden? Butter and, and dairy, right? So this is the son who was to inherit it all. And let me read you this because I cannot give it uh, substance. The way this is written is, is beautiful. It says, in 1904, William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school, Chicago high school, as heir of the Borden family fortune. He was already wealthy as a high school kid. This is a high school kid, teenager. Don't underestimate teenagers. For his high school graduation present, his parents gave the 16-year-old Borden a trip around the world. As the young man traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt the growing burden of the world's hurting people. That's what he felt. He's driving around the world, he's, rocking, he's, he's traveling the world, and instead of saying, wow, I could do this and I could do that, he's actually feeling empathy for people around the world. Finally, William Borden wrote home about his desire to be a missionary. One friend expressed this belief that Bill was throwing himself away as a missionary. A story often associated with, the Borden, with Borden says that in response, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible. Do you know what those two words were? No reserves. What's written on the back of your Bible? He went to Yale University in 1905. And Borden's classmates noticed something unusual about him, and it wasn't that he had lots of money. It was that he was very spiritual. And during his college years, Bill Borden made an entry in his personal journal that defined what his classmates were seeing in him. That entry said simply, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. During his first semester at Yale, at Yale, understand what college this is, Borden started something that would transform campus life. Borden started a small morning prayer group, gave birth to a movement that soon spread across the campus, and by the end of the first year, 150 freshmen were meeting weekly for Bible study and prayer. And by the time Bill Borden was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in such groups. Borden made it his habit to seek out the most incorrigible student and try to bring them to salvation. The most marginalized, the ones who people nobody wanted to hang out with, those are the ones, and they became champions. Borden's outreach ministry was not confined to the Yale campus. He cared about widows and orphans and the disabled. He rescued drunks from the streets of New Haven to try to re rehabilitate them. He, found, he founded the Yale Hope Mission. One of Bill Borden's friends wrote that he might often be found in the lower parts of the city at night on the street in a cheap lodging house or some restaurant to which he had taken a poor, hungry fellow to feed him, seeking to lead men to Christ. What will it profit a man? What 
Born's missionary call narrowed to the Muslim Kanzu people in China. Once he fixed his eyes on the goal, Borden never wavered. He also challenged his classmates to consider missionary service. Although he was a millionaire, Bill seemed to realize always that he must be about the father's business. And upon graduating from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying job offers and it has been reported that in his Bible, Bill Borden wrote two more words. So not longer, not just only no reserves, but the next word was no retreats. What's written in your Bible? William Borden went on to graduate work, graduate work at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey, and when he finished, he studied at Princeton. He sailed to China because he was hoping to work with Muslims. He stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. While there, he contracted spinal meningitis. And within a month, 25-year-old 25 25-year-old 25 William Borden was dead. Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. And then it ends like this. Was Borden's untimely death a waste? Not in God's perspective. As the story has it, prior to his death, Borden had written two more words in the back of his Bible. Underneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he wrote, no regrets. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. What's written in your Bible? I love that. Can you imagine being this kind of a person? The kind of person that is willing to live like this? It reminds me so much of what Jesus said. Adopt the mind of Jesus, the anointed. Not Jesus said, what Paul said in the book of Philippians. Live with his attitude in your hearts. Remember, though he was in the form of God, he chose not to cling to equality with God. I believe William Borden read this somehow, and it inspired him. But he poured himself out to fill a vessel brand new, a servant in the form, and a man indeed. The very likeness of humanity, he humbled himself, obedient to death, a merciless death on the cross. And so God raised him up to the highest place and gave him the name above all. So when his name is called, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and below. And every tongue will confess, Jesus, the anointed one, is Lord. To the glory of God our Father. Amen? Amen. I got to tell you something. This is so powerful. And as the worship team comes up, I want to I kind of finish with this little parable. It's one that I've told for all 30 years that I've been in ministry. It was one of the very first parables I told. And I want to tell you now because it fits so much what we're talking about here. See, this is not just words. These, this, is, this is a commendation from, from Paul to us. This is what he's saying. Look, look, we've got to get to the point that if Jesus was willing to let go of his grip on God, how much more should we let go of our grip on our materialism and our desire for more? Are you following me? So I was sitting in a hotel room in New York City. You guys have cockroaches here? I'm not seeing a cockroach. You haven't had cockroaches here? 
I don't have, I have never seen one here. But they were quite a few there in that hotel. And I, and I had just finished eating some peanut butter, and so I left the cap off, and it was there. And I noticed there was like this army of cockroaches marching towards the peanut butter. You know, those, they're kind of shiny, slimy-looking things, right? And so they're going, and they actually climb up above, and they go into the peanut butter jar, which I'm thinking, okay, that's the last peanut butter I'm having from that jar. And then they come out even more shiny and more intense, and they're just, and I'm thinking, wow, these guys are having a blast. You know, and, and there's a part of me that wants to just kill them, but, but why? And then I noticed in the corner of, of the room, and this will give away how, old, how long I've been telling the story. Some of you will remember this. There was something called a Roach Motel. How many of you remember the Roach Motel? The tagline is they check in, but they don't check out. I noticed that they were all going towards that Roach Motel. And I'm going, no, 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 don't go there. You're going to die. You check in. You don't check out. You don't want to go in there. But they're still going. And I'm like getting in front of them. No, no, stop. You know, and I'm trying to, trying to kind of kick them out of the way gently. I don't want to hurt them, you know. But they're still going. And I'm thinking, no, please stop. And I realize they're not understanding me at all. Because I don't speak roach language. So I asked my dad, who was in the next room, who's really good at this kind of stuff. And by now, you know, this is definitely a parable. I asked them, could you help me become a cockroach? And he's looking at me like, well, sure, but are you sure? Yeah, Dad, they don't understand me. I want to become a cockroach so I could speak to them in cockroach language. And he says, okay, and the next thing I know, I'm a cockroach. And I'll make my way fast as I can in front of the roach motel, and I go, stop, listen to me. Now I'm speaking in cockroach language. You must understand you can't go in there. You check in, but you don't check out. And they're like, who's this kid? Get him out of here. And they kick me out of the way, and I'm like, come on, man, listen to me. And so I finally said, okay, okay, stop, stop, stop. Watch, watch. And I decide to go into the roach motel. They're all watching me. And they see me stuck there and the poisons penetrating me as I die. And many of them decide, I'm glad he said something to us. You know what amazes me, though? Is how many went in anyway. Are you following me? Uh... Luckily, my dad, I told you, he was powerful, so he was able to resurrect me. So the story doesn't end bad, right? And you know what? As funny as this story is, and as deep as it may even sound, it doesn't even compare to the Creator becoming a creature. Are you following what I'm saying? Like, we have no idea what it meant for Jesus to become human and then to demote himself to a servant and then to demote himself to dying on the cross, the worst death possible. 
naked on that cross, saying these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. You know what's really sad? It's really sad that there are, I'm sure, some in this room that have heard this story so many times that they have become callous to it. And they're like, come on, hurry up. It's lunchtime. We've got to get to the picnic. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You know what's really cool? For some of you guys, you have heard this story over and over again. And today you got chills up your spine as you heard it one more time. Because Jesus is irresistible. Amen? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. So if you're sitting here today and you're wondering what you should do with Christ, first thing is do not go into the Roach Motel. Second thing, ask God, how can I get myself out of the way? And that the only prophet that I ever look for is your prophet in my life. Father, my sincere desire for all of us in this room right now, church members, visitors that are here, myself, my family, is that we would always seek our wealth in the cross. I pray, Lord, that I can be worthy to live a life for you that has no reserves. And I will never retreat. And I will never regret it. Thank you for dying on the cross for us as a great example of what that means. And in his name I pray. Amen.